two round shapes. <laughs> Musings by Misfits. A podcast every Monday. Hi, I'm Saps. And I'm Tazo. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Two Brown Sheeps, Musings by Misfits, communing with brown women in between worlds. Today, I'm very excited to have a guest with me, my husband, François, who I also call Boo Boo. Thanks, François, for joining in. No problem, Sabrina. Very excited to be here. Um, it's such a pleasure to have François and I'm also a bit nervous and I know that he's also a bit nervous because originally one of my other friends was supposed to be on the show and talk about pregnancy but instead we are going to talk about being married and what that is like as two people from totally different cultures well and, and we won't name that uh, that friend that bailed on you yeah we won't name her. Hopefully at some point she will actually be here. Falso and me, we have a funny story. It took three years for us to actually get to talking, even though we were in the same place. We were both in London. And Falso was dating another girl at the time, who was a friend of a mutual friend. And it's that same friend, shout out to Estelle, who actually ended up introducing us three years later. True that. And then I message Francois before my visa expired and made him take me for a drink, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, lots of in-betweens <laughs> and, you know, pictures of you with other guys in bikini that you're kind of, you know, taking out of the picture, but uh, yeah, that's pretty mm -hmm. much it. You know, when we passed the first year of marriage, we just took it easy. It didn't seem like it was this major accomplishment, at least for me. Did it feel like it was for you? No, it wasn't. It felt, you know, <laughs> nothing uh, fresh. <laughs> I didn't feel like it was one of those things that a lot of couples say, oh my God, we passed one year, this is so amazing. Like, it just felt, you know, cool, like one year has gone by, but... Um, just because I made life very easy for you. I think we're going to have to talk about that more in detail. We'll see about that. But, uh, you know, it's interesting because I guess we fall under the category of an intercultural couple and an intercultural marriage. Uh, which are supposed to have a higher divorce rate, actually. We got first married in June 2015 in a civil ceremony in Paris, and then again on the 14th of February, Valentine's Day, in Nepal. And I feel like the marriages themselves were kind of significant of our cultural differences, right? Like the first one, how many people attended? Was it 15? Yeah, there were like 15 or 20 guests. 15-minute ceremony, two-hour dinner, that was it. The Nepali one was at least 500 people, at least four hours. And I think we both kind of bonded over the fact that it didn't feel like it was our wedding, but just something that we were doing for the sake of, you know, culture and religion. But, but I think, you know, if you were to give a fair comparison, mm -hmm. we just had a civil ceremony in France. It wasn't like a religious wedding. Yeah. Religious weddings in France tend to be longer. You have a bigger reception. So, mm -hmm. you know. So this brings us actually to the first topic, which is about the benefits of being with somebody from another culture. Has this been a benefit to you, you think, to be married to somebody from another culture? <laughs> well, our wedding in Nepal hasn't been registered yet, so I know that next time I go to Nepal, I'll still have to queue with all the white guys and pay the $40 to, to get in. So I don't have, you know, that tangible benefit yet of being <laughs> married to 
to a Nepali. I guess one of the positive things of being married to a Nepali person uh, in Nepal, and I'm you know speaking under your control, but uh, in Nepal, the in-law, uh, the son-in-law is referred to as Joinsab which is quite a uh, prestigious place in the family. The most prestigious, uh, You know, yeah. he eats before everyone. He can just, mm-hmm. you know, do whatever he wants. He's like the, you know, you, you have that, that prestige. And I remember it was a, a few days after our wedding. We went to one of your parents' rotary meetings. Uh, and after the, the meeting, your dad started to introduce, uh, you know, me and you to all of his uh, fellow ro- Rotarians. And he was, you know, this is my daughter, Saprina. So everyone went namaste, you know, two hands in front of their face, namaste, namaste. And then he said, this is Francois. And they, you know, barely looked at me. And then he said, after a few seconds, this is my joint sub. And everybody was like, oh, my God, so nice to meet you. Such an honor. You know, they were almost, you know, kneeling in front of me. So I guess, you know, being a joint sub in, in, in Nepal has its advantage. You know, you're very much respected. It's quite prestigious. For me, it's a bit too much. Uh, but that's that's certainly an advantage. Um, and Nepal also has a very positive aura um, around the, the world. You know, it's a happy place where people love being in the mountains. And, you know, it's it's the place where, where Buddha was born. Uh, so it has that, that positive connotation. So I guess being married to a Nepali person is, is easier than if I was married to, to a Pakistani or an, or an Afghani woman. Um, so that's one of the positive aspects. And the, and the last thing that I can think of, uh, being married to a Nepali woman, uh, the positive thing is, you know, you get more attention in Nepal because, you know, I kind of stick out being the, the white dude with the, with the brown girl. And how, how about you, Sabrina? What's, what's the advantage of, uh, of being married to, to me besides <laughs> seeing my lovely face every day? <laughs> well, I think I'll just talk in, in general terms. Of course, you're very special. So in terms of being married to somebody from your particular culture, so the French culture... It's been quite liberating, I have to say, because my parents had an intercaste marriage. I also witnessed firsthand the difficulties with being with somebody from a very different culture. In Nepal, like you said, there's so many different ethnic groups, there are over 100 ethnic groups, each with their own language and their own culture. And my parents happen to be from the two that do not mix. My dad is Brahmin, my mother is Newar. Brahmins don't eat meat, Newars eat practically every single kind of meat you can imagine. Brahmins don't drink, Newars are the ones that create and make alcohol. You know, I mean, the list goes on. So when they got married, my mother and my mom's mother-in-law did not accept her. She refused to eat food that she prepared. She refused to engage with her. So it took many, many years and it was a very emotional and difficult time for I think both of them. And so I was very wary of having to deal with this mother-in-law figure, which is part of a culture in Nepal and just even with extended family in general but the the liberating aspect of it for me has been in the French system you are part of the family the minute you get married there isn't this whole sense that you have to be subservient that you have to be lower there isn't this hierarchy that I think is very difficult to handle for somebody like me who has grown up in the west and who has a lot of similarities in values with Western civilization. Another benefit that I got from you is living in France. I know we complain, I complained a lot because we lived in Boulogne, which for those of you who know is at the end of the world. It can feel at the end of the world. But the best thing about living that year in France was that I had amazing health care. <laughs> I remember that once I was on your 
insurance, I suddenly had the authority to go and see all the different doctors I wanted to see, but I had to go through my generalist. And when I went to see him and I was like, okay, can I get a prescription for a dermatologist, podiatrist, eye doctor, ophthalmologist, dentist, and a gynecologist, he was just like, you need to see a psychologist. <laughs> Um, but it was amazing healthcare. And then another thing that I got through you was also, of course, the visa uh, to travel the rest of Europe, which I never had before. I mean, except some places, of course, not the UK, but some amazing... Every Schengen country. Yeah. Every Schengen country. And I think that's a really, really great thing. And I know that a lot of people thought that maybe I was marrying you just for the visa you know, or for, because I was maybe pregnant because it happened pretty fast, but that was not the reason I married you. I married you because I love you. And this is just one of the perks, though, of that. And, of course, finally, you know, because I went to French school, being able to be with somebody who speaks both English and French is so great, you know, because it just feels like we can connect on so many levels. And... Maybe that's going to pose a problem later if we have children because we'll be speaking in a mix of English and French, French and the kid will be confused. But so far, I think that that's been really great. And even though we're from different cultures on paper, like you have a French passport, I have a Nepalese passport, I think maybe it's really the values that we have that are sh that are similar. Maybe because we lived in different places, we are a bit confused in that sense. Even though you're French, you're not super nationalistic and you're not super like oh France is the best country in the world and except when it comes to sports oh. okay well that I can deal with but you know can you yes and then the other thing is you know I think we really have a similar way of being with people and I think that you have a very Asian way of being with people which is very interesting to me because you have this sense of respect for older people you have a sense of being sensitive and and respecting other people's cultures, which in a French system is not necessarily always the case. And you know, we're talking about interracial marriages, uh, intercultural relationship. I think we're not like the typical uh, mm. interracial. Uh, we are typical interracial, but we're not the typical uh, intercultural marriage because, you know, you're very French in a lot of ways. You're very westernized. You went to French mm. school. You went to an American high school. Uh, you did your studies in the U.S. and in the U.K. Um, you know, you're not the average Nepali person from, from Kathmandu. Uh, same as me. Yes, I'm French. Very proud to be French. Uh, but, you know, I grew up in all the different countries that, that you mentioned. Um, I, I, I did my uh, university in the U.K. I lived almost 10 years in the U.K. So, you know, we're not typical Mm -hmm. people from our from our countries and I think that's why you know we, we work because mm -hmm. we're kind of confused where do I belong I don't know. yeah I think you that know? confusion is definitely part of yeah. it and I think it's kind of we, we kind of take like the best part of every place that I you know lived you know yeah you know yeah. I'm 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 not the typical French guy that's going to spend hours cooking. You know, I lived yeah. ten, 10 years in the UK I'm very happy with my beans on toast and a pint and your tuna sandwich watching match of the day yeah, that's. I think those are the things that we've kind of come to discover. Like, I think you thought that because I was Nepalese, I would be able to cook and be happy, you know, being in sleeping on the floor because at least I have a clean floor to sleep on. And I used to think that you'd make amazing stuff in the kitchen, but I guess we just live and learn. <laughs>
this part, we're going to talk about more of the challenges that we have found in our experience of being in an intercultural relationship. I know that it was kind of difficult for you at the beginning when you had to meet my mom. For some reason, she was stuck on the idea that I would be with a Nepali person. And my dad, who tends to be quite open-minded about things in general, had actually told me, you know, keep it South Asian if you can. Try to stay within the continent. And I thought that, that was strange, and you also thought that was strange, right? Because we have been all over in, in, in many ways. Yep, so for, you know, the the brown sheep out there that don't know much about Sabrina's family, they lived in, I don't know, 11 or 12 different countries. Um, they speak, you know, lots of different languages. And, uh, you know, when Sabrina told me, hey, it might be a bit difficult because my parents are expecting a brown person or, you know, an Nepali person, mm-hmm. it was, you know, kind of hard to, you know, I knew I had a mountain to, to climb. Yeah, and, and it was really funny because when I met you, I had started watching this Hindi film called English of English that I made you watch, and you didn't read. Terrible! It's, it's ten, <laughs> it's ten bucks that I spent film. on Google Play. Then I'll it's never an get. amazing film, but it can be a bit long if you. Good don't... soundtrack, though. Good soundtrack. Yeah, but the, in that film, basically, this Indian woman who doesn't speak English goes to New York, and she meets this Frenchman, and he speaks English like this. And I was watching that film and I really liked it. And I guess that was the phase when we were still dating. And my parents, I tried to make them watch it as well. And both of them were so convinced that you were going to be like that guy, even though I was saying, no, you speak English fluently. You've also lived in many places. Francois has actually grown up in India and Japan. His parents actually met through a connection in Nepal. So there's a lot of things that make you a mix but for my parents, the fact that you were French, despite all the travel, meant that you fit into that stereotype and that you spoke English like that. My mom was like, oh my God, I can't deal with this. It's so irritating. If he speaks like that, I don't ever want to talk to him. I don't want to hear him. I don't want to get to know him at all. So that was really tough. What was it like when you felt that you had to convince my family? Was that a culture shock for you? I wouldn't say that it was a culture so- shock per se, sorry. Um... It was more, I'll always remember when I first met your mom uh, at a hotel in Kathmandu, uh, when she stepped out of your dad's SUV, she she barely looked into my eyes, you know, I could tell she was like, oh my god, you know, I have to do that not to be rude, because, you know, that poor white guy flew, you know, 12 hours to come and see me, uh, you know, so I could feel that that, that tension, and, and you were very nervous, but, uh, but, but your dad made very easy, you know, he's, I mean, for those that, that met him, he's a fantastic guy with a you know with a fantastic smile that you know made me feel at ease very easily and uh you know when I spoke to your mom after five or ten minutes things started to become uh, a bit easier uh but all the way up to our Nepali wedding there was always that you know inner conflict within her uh that yes you know she's happy that you've met me because I'm not that bad of a guy but uh you know, she would still rather you marry a Nepali guy for for many many reasons, which, which which I I, I totally understand. And uh, but I also found a bit surprising knowing your parents' context that you know they come from very two mm. uh, separate uh, ethnic groups within Nepal, and their what you know marriage was quite scandalous back in the days in Kathmandu. So I I guess that for me was the hardest part to to comprehend. Yeah, but Boo Boo, what else did you find really challenging? So as I said in the in the first part of this amazing show, uh, Nepal abroad has that kind of reputation of being a very tolerant, very open country, 
Buddha was born in Nepal, you know, everyone is, is uh, you know, meditating and happy. Um, I found, you know, Nepal very intolerant. Uh, everyone kind of wants to put you in boxes, you know, are you Nawar, are you Brahmin, are you uh, Chetri? So, you know, there's, there's you know, a lot of, uh, a, lo a lot of racism and a lot of, uh, you know, the caste system is still yeah. very, very present. So that's kind of hard to, to, to live. And as the white guy, you know, they're trying to put you in, in these different boxes and, uh, you know, and being a white person, I stand out and uh, being white, I'm not allowed to visit certain places. I remember when I uh, first met your parents, we went to visit certain temples in Kathmandu and I wasn't allowed to, you know, go into the temple because I don't look Hindu. So there was mm -hmm. that, you know, army guy with an AK-47 that told me <laughs> I'm not allowed to go in. So I kind of waited outside on my own. So cheers, Sabrina, for waiting for me outside. <laughs> so, you know, that was kind of a, you know, tough reality check in Nepal that, you know, even though people are very welcoming and, uh, you know, very excited to see a white person, mm. you're still not Nepali, even though you're, you know, married to a Nepali person, you still don't fit into to, to the system. Mm. So that was kind of hard to, uh, to de deal with. Uh, another thing that I find difficult is, is to learn Nepali. Uh, very difficult language, uh, very useful language in Nepal, outside of Nepal, very yeah. uh, limited use. Um, and I guess it's kind of hard for me because you don't really speak Nepali. Uh, people tell me I have a better accent than Saprina. No, they're just being nice to you. So, <laughs> you know, Saprina doesn't really speak Nepali. Uh, you have very limited knowledge of Nepali culture. Mm -hmm. uh, religion and culture are very intertwined, well, in every country, but even more so in Nepal. Uh, you have very to uh, zero uh, religious knowledge about about Hinduism, uh, so it's kind of hard to. <laughs> because I went to a French school where they don't allow you to be interested in religion, <laughs> and so that's, I didn't that, really do that. But what, I guess what I'm trying to convey is that it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, to to learn how to speak or learn you know N N Nepali things or bond over that Nepali culture yeah. if the person at home you know doesn't celebrate their religious festival or can or, or doesn't know why people in her country do that or, or do this. But uh, I, I kind of have my own way of you know bonding with with Nepal. Uh, I love uh, N Nepali music. I subscribe to Songs Nepal, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which is a YouTube channel where all the the new Nepali songs, pop songs, come out. So that's really great. Uh, and I love learning, you know, fun facts about Nepal, you know, I taught Sabrina there was a Himalayan marmot, you know, a little animal in Nepal mm -hmm. that she didn't know about, and through uh, sports as well. So that's kind of my way of bonding through uh, to, 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 to Nepal. And, and you briefly touched upon that um, in, in the first part is, you know, when first got, well, when I got married to you, when we first started to date seriously, I was like, wow, this person is Nepali, so she knows how to make tea. Uh, she knows how to make rice, and you know, when Sabrina first made me tea, it was disgusting, and I was like, did, did, did you make the water boil? She was like, oh, does water need to boil? And I was like, oh my god, she's Nepali, she doesn't know how to make tea, you know. I grew up in India, lived in Japan, lived in Russia, for me tea is very important, and uh, hmm. you know, you didn't even know how to make tea, so I, I, I guess it's kind of like over-expecting that, you know, a Nepali person has to be like that. Mm -hmm. Same thing when we were traveling, I didn't always book the best hotels when we were you know, traveling around India, but it was, oh, she's, you know, she's, she's Nepali, you know, having running water and electricity is, is, is already a plus, but, uh, no, kind of found out the, the, the hard you way. Found you found out know. the hard way, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, how, how about you, Sabrina? What was, you know, the, the challenges that you found, uh, being married to a Frenchie? Well, I think it's interesting the thing you said about the religious point, because you are religious. I mean, you're Catholic and you go church. to church mm -hmm. and your family 
your mom is religious as well. And I grew up in a family in which religion was not really so important. You know, my dad and mom, my mom is increasingly more religious now, but while we were growing up and living in different places, it was a lot more about spirituality and different kind of practices related to spirituality. So yes, you're right about the religious aspect. I don't really have much, I don't have much knowledge of my inherited religion. But I also feel like as a result of that, I have a hard time kind of accepting to be part of any other religion, including yours. So, you know, when I come to church with you sometimes, I do it out of curiosity, but I'm also very apprehensive about what this might mean down the line if we have children, you know, and then we've had this discussion about what that would mean. We said, you've said that you'd like them to go to church and grew up in this faith because I've had no kind of organized religion growing up. But my feeling is that a ch child should be exposed to as many different religions as possible. And, and I know a lot of people say, no, but that's going to confuse the kid. He's going to be so totally lost. But I almost feel like everything should be treated as a philosophical journey. And you only decide to be religious once you're older, not when you're a kid. Because for me, that's just not how I grew up. That's not my experience. So that's been challenging. But you still it's, said that the kids were going to get baptized. Yeah, I said they could get baptized. I don't mind that. They're going to be like babies. They're not going to remember that. But another thing that I've found challenging as well is culturally, you know, even though I speak French, I also speak a certain kind of French. You know, I speak a French that was colloquial, that we were speaking in, in mainly in high school, really, because I, I kind of switched systems. And so it's been a, it was a culture shock for me to meet some members of your family in Paris who corrected me very publicly in a rather <laughs> humiliating way. So basically the story was that we went to Francois' step-grandmother. Yeah, she's your step-grandmother's yeah, house. Step yeah. And I really wanted to impress her. And I, I don't usually use this term. The term is enchanté when you meet somebody. And I really wanted to impress her. So I, when I met her, I said enchanté. And this woman who was smoking a cigarette just stopped, stared at me and was just like, no, 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 we do not say enchanté. And everybody just became extremely quiet. There was this silence. And I just thought, okay, I have to say something. So I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. What, what should I have said? And she was like, you need to say... Now I can't even remember what she said. I think it's ravi de faire votre connaissance. Ravi de faire votre connaissance. No, ravi de vous rencontrer. No. So happy to meet you as opposed to... Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's not even that it's, it's uh, happy to make your acquaintance. Happy to make your acquaintance. Yeah. And, of course, in that moment, I was thinking, I'm definitely not happy to make your acquaintance in any <laughs> way, but I had to say it. And I, and, I, and I feel like that kind of aspect of breaking people or being a bit but you know, I think condescending you... is a very French thing, which I don't really like. But I, I think with your context particularly, it's it's a bit different because you speak perfect French. You can't really tell if you're French or or, or foreign. So mm -hmm. I guess when you speak French and you kind of make these uh, 
there, there, there aren't really mistakes, but but it's, no, no, it's it's it's, but, it's a class it's, thing. It's, it's a it's, class it's, thing. It's a class thing. I mean, people would think that with your level of French, you wouldn't make these mistakes. But that's what I think I found really disturbing in a way that she felt embarrassed that I or or what I found disturbing about it was that the class thing was so apparent that she could not accept that. Maybe what if I was from a middle class or lower middle class? Yeah, What's but, wrong but, with that? But I guess it's your whole surrounding. I guess they, they would expect that the daughter of a UN diplomat doesn't speak French like that. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't know anything. They've never been outside of France. <laughs> also, so that brings me to the second thing that I found quite challenging. I think the French system, having gone through it myself and saying this with no desire to criticize it, but just being realistic... I have found rather intolerant, you know, you're not really meant to be tolerant or different or accepting of different things. And I think meeting you has been very interesting because you actually are not like that. I think that's the least French part of you, how open you are, how accepting you are, how you're not tolerant, you're actually accepting. And I think that that's very, very rare, at least in the French system, somebody who's gone through the French system. Well, I think it's the fact that I, you know, I grew up in the uh, in, in, in the U.S., so I, th I really believe in, you know, freedom of speech, freedom to do what, whatever you want to. I'm a, I'm a libertarian at heart, so, you know, if somebody wants to have a communist flag or a Nazi flag on their front yard, mm -hmm. you know, uh, they, they should be allowed to do it, you know, so, mm -hmm. which, is, which is not very French. In French, everything is formatted, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. Mm -hmm. I'm very libertarian. You should be allowed to do whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. But also, you know that point you made, you, you made about you finding some parts of my my culture weird. I also feel like some parts of my culture are weird. Like because I'm an outsider in many ways of every place I've been to, every place I've lived in. I also always feel a little bit weird and a little bit like I don't fit in, and that's kind of just been part of my identity and my journey. And I think. I have felt a bit frustrated with you sometimes when the little bit that I do know of my culture, like yoga, or the little Nepali yoga, that I do know. Yoga is from India, though. It is part of my culture still, though. You know, it's like you, you are European, even though you're French. Like, yoga is part of the subcontinent culture, subcontinental culture. And I wanted to teach you yoga. I was trying to force him to come with me just to one yoga class. When I was living in India, and I you got never lost. came. I got you lost. never came, and I got lost. I just felt so frustrated because I was like, "That's the one thing that I can actually show you about where I come from, with confidence." And now I don't even do yoga anymore because of you. <laughs> but yeah, and then of course all of these things I think are important for the future when we think about children. I think it's going to be. Difficult, I think, to a certain extent, you know, because there's so many things to pick and choose from. Especially if they're as messy as you. And as <laughs> unwilling to help in the house as you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that was another thing I thought you'd be really good at. Me I too. thought you were going to be a good house person because when we had first talked about it, you had said you wanted to be a house husband. So I thought, of course, this person loves to like hang out in the house, take care of things. No, it's not your thing. I just love growing my tomatoes. That's all I like to do. You like growing your house. tomatoes. You don't even like to eat so much. Like I just, yeah, that's another thing, actually, the food. 
You know, you think when you're marrying a French guy, you're going to get good food, but that doesn't ever happen. Actually, just once or twice. Well, I mean, I could flip the argument around. You, you think that when you're marrying a brown mm -hmm. person, they're going to overfeed you and yeah. they're gonna do everything for you. That never really happened. I had to teach this young lady here how to cook rice, how to, you know, all the basic cooking techniques. Yeah, I kind of had to teach you how to you know, <laughs> chop stuff, how to, you know. Yeah. yeah. Okay, boo-boo, I think that's going to be a good place to end this because otherwise we might just start bitching about all the other things we're not good at and that we oversold and under-delivered. But thank you so much for filling in and being willing to do this. I know it's not easy, but it's been so nice to talk to you. And of course, you're welcome anytime. Thank you, boo-boo. Thank you so much, Saprina. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to be on the show that I love listening to every Tuesday mornings uh, on my commute to work. So... Absolutely love being here. Kind of wish that Tazo was here too for, for the interview. Mm -hmm. Best of luck for your show. Thank you so much, Boo Boo. Thank you, everybody, for listening and tuning in. If you are in an intercultural, international relationship, what are the things that we said here that resonates with you? Do you? Does any of it make sense? Does none of it make sense? Tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much, and bye for now. Bye. Two round shapes. <laughs> Musings by Misfits. A podcast every Monday. Hi, I'm Saps. And I'm Tazo. 